All right. Can I get a couple helpers over here? Maybe a couple of you young guys. Can y'all come help me real quick? Brother Dean, I love you. <laughs> I know, I know. If you'll just pass those out. I want everybody to be able to get one of these. Brother Dean. I, listen, you would have done a fine job. Dean is like, I'm just going to tell you, the guy works harder than most guys who are 30 years younger than him or 40 years younger than him. Now you can say people are 40 years younger than you and they're, they're working age, right? Huh? Yeah, they, they retired. Yeah. Brother Dean, really, you are an amazing, amazing, hardworking individual. There might be a couple more up here. I'm going to let you all get settled here. Thank you, Brother Warren. Thank you, Brother Bruce. Brother Bruce is another one of those dudes who, like, they, uh, uh, these are, these are age-defying men. Brother Bruce still plays softball. And uh, I don't know if the gentleman's still playing with you, but there was a 90-year-old guy playing softball with them. Um, it's a good, good time that they have. All right. All right. Here we are. Okay. We're here because we're not all there, right? Is that, is that uh, Friends of Baptist Church in a nutshell? Hey, listen, we have a lot of people traveling today, so we need to be mindful about that. Um, and before I go on any further, uh, we would be... Um, absolutely wrong. Uh, not to remember uh, that it was one year ago today that uh, that we lost Brother Scott Rush and uh, Miss Karen uh, and family. We love y'all, and uh, our our loss is still deeply felt. Um, some of y'all uh, didn't know Brother Scott very well. Uh, you're newer here to this ministry. Uh, some of us uh, knew him. Uh, Intimately, he was such a great, great man, just uh, such a great man of character. Uh, if, if, if there's a word that could describe anybody, uh, he had just great character. Um, and, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again today, you know, sometimes people who have great character get overlooked. And they get taken advantage of. They don't get honored in this life as they need. And say what you want to say about Jesus and all the crowds that followed him. At the end, there was maybe 120. And so Jesus, a man of great character, was taken advantage of, overlooked. He was actually forsaken. He was rejected. He was condemned. And I say all that to say, while I wish that Brother Scott would have had the honor in this life, I'm sure because he followed our resurrected, liberating King Jesus uh, with his whole life, with his character, that today he is in the presence of our Lord. And whenever, uh, whenever we all stand before the Lord and judgment is passed, I think there's going to be a lot so-called crowns that Brother Scott that Brother Scott has. 
And this should be a lesson to all of us because sometimes what Jesus says is, if you do things so that you could be seen by people here, that's your reward. But he said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Scott is one who I believe stored up a boatload, a boatload in heaven. Miss Karen, we love you. We love your family. Today we miss Scott. We also miss Christopher. Um, let's do this before we go on any further. Let's just go before our Lord. And uh, right before we bow, we sang that song, Overcame, and I couldn't help but think the only reason why we could carry on, the only reason why Karen Rich could carry on this last year, having faced such horrible atrocity a year ago, is because Jesus overcame. Join me in prayer. Oh, the song says we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So, Lord, we come to you and we say thank you for the blood of your, of the Lamb, of your precious Son, Jesus. It's because he was willing to Endure the agony of the cross, to suffer shame, to be rejected, to be condemned. For our sakes, that we have hope today. We have hope ourselves, Lord, whose faith is in you. Uh, once again, we want to thank you for his life and thank you for the legacy of his testimony. Uh, his, his song that he sang so often was truly a prayer of his. May all who come behind us find us faithful. That was such a prayer of his. And Lord, uh, we who are witnesses say, you were found faithful, my friend. Lord, we do know that while we have this hope, it is a hope that is yet to be seen. And so, Lord, we pray we lift up Miss Karen, we lift up her family, we lift up our church family to you, and we pray that you would continue to uh, minister, to comfort, to console each and every day until that hope is realized. Until our faith is no longer necessary because it's been witnessed. Until that day, Lord, may you be close. May you be present. May your peace reign, Lord, we pray. I pray for us this morning as we go to your word, as we, uh, as we seek you, Lord, I pray that we will hear from you today. Uh, Lord, I know that the purpose of why we've been gathered here this 
This month is uh, Missions Emphasis Month, and we've, uh, we, we've put an emphasis on that. But, Lord, we know that your hand is not shortened. So, Lord, as I, as I read your word, as I proclaim today, Lord, I pray and I ask that uh, wherever people's hearts are, however you need to minister, Lord, please do so. Lord, as you speak to us, as you minister to us, may we have open and receptive hearts. May we receive the ministry that you want to provide for us. May we receive the word that you want to provide for us. Maybe, may we receive the strength, the correction, the encouragement, the comfort. The delight, Lord, I pray. I pray all these things uh, for the purpose of equipping us to continue to follow your son, Jesus. And for the purpose of our lives being lived to exalt you. And to testify of your good news, of your son, and the good news of your spirit. Lord, we pray and we ask these things in Christ's mighty, resurrected name. Amen. All right, my brothers and my sisters. We have been gathered uh, here this month because we are um, uh, putting a particular emphasis on missions. Uh, we've uh, been thinking about uh, missionaries and uh, had a few purposes that we wanted to cover uh, throughout this uh, this month. First of all, we wanted to learn about some new missionary projects, and um, and we've done so. Uh, we've we've had a few different missionaries and their projects come through, and and uh, I hope it's been encouraging to you. I hope uh, in in this time, what we've also wanted to do is kind of like reinvigorate our our heart for mission. If your heart has yet to be invigorated for mission, maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day that the Lord will um, will reinvigorate you. And uh, and then we also uh, we we want to. Uh, and we're going to talk about this largely today. We want to set our new faith promise mission giving commitment. And so, um, and so that's why we've, we've kind of set this month aside for that. And, uh, and, and we do this every year in February. And so, um, and so my hope and my prayer is, is that there, some of these purposes have been met in you. Um, when we think about missions, there's a couple things that we always want to think about with missions. We always want to not only, um, you know, support missionaries and pray for missionaries, we want to be on mission. So a lot of times, like, what happens is we, we bring opportunities to our church where we can serve. Um, I just want to kind of just briefly tell y'all uh, uh, some ways that people serve regularly in our church that you can be a part of. Um, once a quarter... Uh, we host a family promise, and that is uh, our church hosts uh, homeless families here in our building. Um, we have people who need to stay overnight and people who provide meals, and uh, that happens four times a year uh, for seven days, uh, 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 one week for four times a year. Um, and so what is that, 7, 14, 21, 28 days, 28 days out of the year, and usually that might require you to stay one night. So that's four times in a year, four nights. Oh, my goodness, four nights. But these are opportunities for people to come in here to serve, and, and, and you can be a host, and you can be hospitable to, uh, to our families, provide uh, 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 not just a, a, a safe, secure place for them, but create a sense of hospitality and belonging for them here. And uh, that's desperately needed for the Family Promise Program, which is a great program that, that helps homeless families uh, 
uh, get back into sustainable uh, independent living. And so, um, so if you have questions, comments, or concerns about that, um, let us know and we'll give you the information that you need. Uh, our next host week is at the end of March, actually. Uh, every Monday, there's a group of ladies from our church and they venture across the street to another church. Can you believe it? No, we love it. They go over to the French church, and, and French church has uh, been part of this, uh, the shower ministry. And uh, what they do is, um, uh, is every Tuesday, there's a, um, th there is a, um, a shower trailer that they take into Houston. Uh, a group of people take it into Houston, and they provide showers for, for homeless. So let's just th think about this. When we're talking about family promise, we're not talking about like the homeless people that you see on the side of the road. Family promise is like your, your cousin who has three children with three different men and uh, she has, her life's kind of in disarray and it's helping her get her life back together. Or it's a family that was, that was just making ends meet week in, week out and then he lost his job or she lost her job and then three months later they're getting an eviction letter from their apartment or from their rental house and so it helps them get back on their feet. When we talk about the shower ministry, we're talking about people who live on the street who you would see as you are driving down uh, 45 and you look underneath the bridges and there's a tent set up there. And so two different types of homeless ministries, but, but they provide showers for homeless people. And not only do they give them showers, they give them fresh clothes. They give them a brand new pair of, um, of underoos and, uh, and socks and they give them pants and they give them shirts. And uh, in the winter months, they give them jackets. And, and so what happens to get those clothes to them on Monday afternoons, a group of uh, people meet over at Friends Church and people donate stuff all throughout the week. And then they go through and they sort through all that stuff and they put it, they size it and they uh, fold it and they get it nice and neat and presentable. So then that the, the shower team on Tuesday morning can take that stuff and they can set it up and those individuals can come by and they can they can grab this this all these ministries and, and this is just everything that we do um sometimes people like want to go like well where's the gospel in that well for one jesus said if you give a cup of water a glass of water in my name right those are the people that he would say come on into the kingdom and so uh we i trust this a hundred percent that we don't always uh, people don't always know what we're about just because we say it but they know what we're about because we live it, because we do it. And so if I'm giving dignity to a, somebody who lives under a bridge and providing them, and I say you're worth having a fresh pair of underwear and you're worth having a shower, me giving them dignity is like Jesus going and sitting and eating with sinners who, who people would say that they don't deserve the dignity and honor. Him letting a woman wash his feet with her tears, which was scandalous. If you think about it. So, these are active ways in which you are living the gospel, but also, there's more, right? But also, it's through these avenues that we get an opportunity to sit down and have gospel conversations with people. And what I know about me, and I don't know about you, but a lot of my friends, they know Jesus. And a lot of people that I choose to hang out with on the weekends know Jesus. 
And they're all part of my small group Bible study. And, and we, we can share prayer requests with each other. And we can share our burdens with each other. And they're part of my community. And so what I know is that you and I sometimes don't even have the opportunity before us to talk to somebody who doesn't know Jesus. And this creates opportunities for you to build moments in which you might be able to have a gospel conversation. But if you don't, don't stress out. Because the Spirit works even whenever we can't speak. He works through the things that we do. And if that wasn't true, then it wouldn't be true whenever Jesus was here. But it was true then too. So those are a couple opportunities. That's every week, every Monday afternoon, that a group of people, ladies from our church in particular, they go over. I'm going to tell you all this. If you're, uh, uh, there's, the shower trailer leaves on Tuesday mornings at 5, and they're usually back before lunchtime. If you want to go on the shower trailer um, and you want to help actually in, the, in, in downtown Houston, let me know, and I'll get you connected with uh, those people as well um, so that you can do that. And then uh, we, we, we also have some other partner ministries uh, like 4B Disaster Response Network, um, which, uh, which came together after Hurricane Harvey and uh, does disaster response. Um, and, 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 and they have ongoing work that they've been doing since then. Um, and, uh, and these are some local ministries. We just learned about Isaiah 117 House a few weeks ago. I know several people have uh, shown some interest in that. And, uh, and, and then even at the very first week, we, we introduced y'all to uh, Mateen Thomas, and um, he, uh, he uh, is with um, Nations Houston, and they are doing, um, they're doing uh, diverse ministry. Whenever I say diverse ministry, I mean to diverse uh, nationalities here in Houston in the Gulfton community. And so if you're interested in actually being able to sit down with somebody who doesn't look like you, who doesn't sound like you, who wasn't raised like you were raised, has a totally different cultural uh, background and, and understanding and worldview, uh, and you want to minister to those people, we could get you in touch with uh, Martin um, there. So those are just some opportunities that we have to actually be engaged in missions practically, but we also want to talk about how we give to missions. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So everybody excited because we're going to talk about giving money? Yes. Everybody raise your hand. You, yeah. All that church does is talk about giving. You know what? Nobody has ever said that about me. You know what I have been told? You don't talk about giving very much. And I don't because I don't like to because of the stereotypes that are out there. Right? And I don't like to because there's been a bunch of Huckster preachers and missionaries and evangelists who've taken advantage of people. And so, like, the last thing that I ever want to make this thing about is money. Uh, Paul actually said that he, he went and he served as a missionary, and he did a full-time job. He was a trade. Uh, he was a tent maker by trade. He had a pliable trade uh, that he could make a living wage off of, and he chose that he would go and he would minister to people and support himself and his team, they would support themselves so that nobody could ever look at them and say, oh, you're just in it for the money. And so I have, I'm just going to tell you, I've always stay very, 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 very far away from it being about the money. Uh, my dad, my dad was pretty stringent on this. I'm so thankful for the character 
of my dad and that he, he, he exemplified for me. Um, and it's one of those things, he didn't have to sit down and lecture me about it. I saw it in him. Uh, I've told the church this before. If you could not financially support me as your pastor, I'm not going to another church to see where I can get financially supported as a pastor. My heart for Friendswood Baptist Church is that if I can't be financially supported as a pastor, then I will work a job and I will pastor Friendswood Baptist Church. I saw my dad do this when we first got to Friendswood, Texas. There was five families here and the previous pastor had, had cleared out the bank account and went down the road. But luckily there was five families. One of them was Miss Karen and Brother Scott. And they said, we want to keep going. And so my dad came down here and he worked a job and he pastored a church. My dad was big, 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 big on. You do not come to me and tell me you want to work in the ministry and then say, what's my package? What's my financial compensation package? In fact, whenever I began to work for my dad here at Friendswood Baptist Church in 2007, January 2007, just graduated college, I'm excited to be in ministry, and I'm like my dad, I just want to do ministry. I want to be about it. So we never had to talk about how much I was going to get paid or where I was going to live. And, um, and I knew, like, I knew this was off limits. Like, my dad did not hire people who were very, very, very close to him, like friends and close relatives, because their first question was, how much are you going to pay me? Now, we see a little bit differently on that, but I do value this, that my dad never wanted it to be about money. So I'll just tell you all this. So then I got down here, and I was surprised to find that I was getting, like, $200 a week, and I was sleeping on my parents' couch. It was awesome. <laughs> it was so good. And I was like, okay, this uh, could we have, maybe we should have had to talk about this. Um, but, uh, but all that to say is I love that it instilled within me that this is not about money. Ministry is not about money. I don't do it for the money. And we pay attention to make sure that if we're supporting projects, they're not doing it for the money. But it requires money. It requires financial resources because as, as good-hearted as people are, uh, they have to live. They have to eat food. They have to put clothes on their back. They have to have a place to live. They have to pay for resources so that they can actually do ministry. And yes, it would be great if we lived in a world where everybody just handed that stuff out, but we don't. We don't. And so it requires money for us to be able to do these things um, and for our missionaries to be able to do things. And so we will be talking about giving money this morning. And But what I want you all to see, and I'm really not going to take long, I don't believe, Do y'all believe me? It's not about money. It requires money, so we're going to talk about it. And I don't ever just want to 
put like tithes and offerings into one category. I think there's a broader category there uh, called generosity. And you can be generous with your time. You can be generous with your energy. You can be generous with your skill sets, with your, with your gifts, with your abilities. You can also be generous with your finances. It's not about money, but it requires money. But there's something, there's this great deception that's out there. And I, I think you probably have experienced it a time or two yourself. And the great deception is this, is that there's not enough. There's not enough resources. Maybe you've thought about it, I don't have enough time. I would like to do that, I just don't have the time. Not enough. Interestingly, what psychologists have found and what sociologists have found and probably what you've seen by your own experience not only observing it in others, but you've probably seen it in yourself, is this. The more resources that you have does not remove the persistent thought that there's not enough. It doesn't remove it. In fact, psychologists would call this a hedonic treadmill. If I said that right, then great. If I didn't, I don't care. Um, a hedonic treadmill. And they say this, the more you achieve, the more desires get filled, uh, or the more you create new desires for, for more. So all I ever wanted to do was arrive to this position, and then you get to that position and work, and then you live in it for a while, and then now all I want to do is more. And now some people in America would say, well, that's just, you, you should have some ambition and you should have some pride in your work. No, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about somebody who's ambitious and who sets goals and who wants, it's somebody who is never satisfied because there's never enough. Y'all track? Have you been there? You know, we got the, we got the new house, and it checks all the boxes, and we live in it for a while, and now I just hate this. We, we, we renovated our kitchen and uh, our bathroom. Our bathroom was the big one a couple years ago. And now I can promise you there's times where I'm sitting there, and I'm like, well, let me just go on H-A-R or Zillow. Let's just see what we could get. Maybe we could get something a little bit better, and our house is great. We do this with time, energy, resources. You can do it with a job. You, you can do it with your family. It's not enough. You can do it with your spouse. He's not enough. We're not. I, oh, guys, are we not? We're not enough. We know it. But could you just please, please pretend? <laughs> I don't have anything that I can promise you except for just please just pretend. I'm just joking about that. You are enough, men. And we can do it with our finances. In my study this week, I, I read this. This idea of things not, they're, they're not being enough of something. There's a, a term for that. It's called scarcity mindset. Uh, we, we most often can know that this mindset was prevalent in America 
after the Great Depression because you had a generation of people who saved paper clips. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And I'm not just talking about the hoarders. I'm talking about like literally like, hey, I'm going to need this because I know what it's like to not have a paper clip. They're the ones who don't throw that food away. That's good food. You can repurpose it, make something else out of it. And at least feed it to the dogs. So there was this prevalent mindset that came because as a, as a nation and as a world, we, we, we actually were without resources. But like I said, this mindset is not only prevalent whenever you've experienced not having enough, like actually not having enough. This mindset is actually even more prevalent in places where you have more than enough. I've told y'all the story about when we go to Ukraine, and in Ukraine, these kids who we are ministering to live in absolute poverty. And I'm not talking about, like, I didn't get to get the brand new Xbox. I had to get the last generation Xbox. I'm talking about, I don't know if I get food tomorrow. These kids would come into our camp, and they would, you know, they, they would eat the meals, and, and we found that they, that, that, that they would take rolls and they would put them in their pocket and they would take them back to their bunk and we were like why were you hungry and they said no we just we weren't sure that we were going to get more food tomorrow those kids live in actual scarcity actually not having enough and get this at the end of the week they play this game and they get to make money right uh, and we used to do the gospel dollar store at BBS, right? Something similar to that. They play the game of life, and they get money, and, and, and they have to learn how to manage their money and use their money throughout the game. And, and, and at the end, they get to go, and they get to buy things with their money. And there's things that they could buy just for desire, just for, oh, man, this is something that I've always wanted. And then there's actual practical things that they can buy. They can buy notebooks, and they can buy pencils, and they can buy um, uh, things for school. And you will find that these kids will forsake the want and get the need. But then on top of that, they will go get candy and they will buy it, not so that they can hoard it unto themselves, but so that they could come to Miss Faith and say, here's a lollipop. And they could say, here, Brother Mike and Miss Kathy, they've been there to Ukraine. They know what it's like for these kids to come and they have nothing and with whatever they had, they came and they give it to you. So I read this. People who actually live in scarcity don't often have a scarcity mindset like those who, who live in abundance. A great deal of modern society is premised on a false sense of scarcity. The wealthiest society in human history the USA is obsessed with how much it still needs. Is that off base or is that on point? So, today, for the next couple minutes, I want us to look inward and go, do I have this false sense of scarcity? in me. Lord, open my eyes. Let me see where I have this 
false sense of scarcity. I have called it the myth of scarcity before. Others have called it the myth of scarcity, and I've just followed along with them. But even as I thought about it this week, and as I was preparing for this, it was like, it's not a, like, myth sounds so, like, oh, it's mythological. No. The deception, the deceit of scarcity. I think that has a little bit more teeth to it, doesn't it? It's a little bit more raw, a little bit more visceral. Scarcity is not just this false sense that you have. It's not just the myth. It is a deception. And so if it's a deception, who's the author of it? Right? Who's the author of it? The enemy, Satan, the accuser. The deceiver. So we have to ask ourselves, do I have this? Do I have this false sense of scarcity? Do I have this? Do I believe this myth of scarcity? Have I been duped by the deception of scarcity? And if so, and I'll just venture to say, you have it somewhere, probably. You probably have it somewhere. How do we combat against it? My friends, we have generosity. And generosity is an active resistance against the deception of scarcity. On two fronts. When you are generous, you practice generosity, you engage in generosity. And again, money, yes, time, energy. Empathy, compassion. When you engage in generosity, you are mounting an active resistance against you. Against you trusting in a lie that there's not enough. You engage in an active resistance yourself. I am actively resisting the lie that I don't have enough. It's like when Peter went to Jesus and Jesus said, hey, uh, who do you say I am? And Peter's like, you're the Christ, you're the son of God. But she's like, yes, Peter, you get it. And then Jesus says, okay, guys, here's what's going to happen. We're going to get to Jerusalem. Uh-huh. Okay, we get to Jerusalem and I'm going to get arrested. What? And then they're going to beat me. Huh? And then I'm going to be crucified. And on the third day, I'm going to, and Peter's going, no, 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 no. And Jesus says what? boy." Get behind me. I don't need your deception. I don't need your lies. When you engage in generosity, you are actively resisting the lie that says there's not enough. So there's one front. Here's the other front. When you're generous, you are typically generous to others, right? To others. And you're typically doing that because they actually have a felt need, right? So these people are walking around and they really do live in a a, a realm where there's not enough. 
So those children that we go to uh, in Ukraine, I will never look at those children and be like, oh, you've got enough. I will say, you will have enough if somebody else is generous enough to help you. Because on their own, they don't have enough. I can promise you that. They don't. It requires somebody else coming and helping them, somebody having an empathetic, compassionate heart that says, I will, I will, I will give up two weeks of my life, I will give up some money, and I will fly across, halfway across the world, so that I can, so that I can just be with them and be present and let them know that all that's happening here happened because people were generous to give it to you. So, if you're being generous, you're typically helping somebody who's in need. Emotionally, spiritually, materially, they're in need. And so what you've done is you've mounted a, comp- a campaign and you've let these people know who actually live in a realm where there is not enough that there's always enough. You've You've mounted a resistance against them actually experiencing they're not being enough. Are y'all tracking with that? So on one hand, you're resisting it yourself. On the other hand, it's almost like you're coming in and and you're revealing to them who actually can look around and they go, there's not enough. There's actually not enough. And you go, don't worry about it. You don't have enough, but I have some. And the God of heaven has everything. And so there's always enough. So those are the two fronts. Now, I want y'all to see that we could take this and y'all could go, man, that was a good, that, thanks, Macaulay. I appreciate that. That was good. But I want y'all to see that this is not just what, the, 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 the ramblings of a mad Macaulay. This is actually biblical. So, uh, I'm going to invite your attention to the text. And we're going to read this text. I'm just going to point out, hey, it says you can track with what I'm saying in the text. And then we'll be done. Don't believe me. Trust me. So what's happening in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, just for some context, is in 1 Corinthians chapter number 16, Paul began to talk to them about this collection that they were going to take up for the saints at Jerusalem. your church and support missionaries he is talking about a collection for poor people and he says it he says for the poor saints at jerusalem in romans chapter number 15 they are collecting funds and they and he gives them a modus operandi he says here's what you should do every week the first day of the week whenever you gather for worship you should collect a little bit of funds don't try to do it at the end every week just give a little bit every week and guess what's going to happen at the end of the year you're going to have a big old bunch of funds. But if you try to collect it all at the end of the year, I guess what you know what's gonna happen? Probably not gonna happen much. So 
he says collect it every week. And then when we are going to Jerusalem, we're going to send somebody by. He's going to pick it up. Titus is going to take it. And if, and if y'all trust me to go with him, I'll go with him too. And we're going to take this money to Jerusalem and we're going to give it to the church there so that they can deliver it to the, the people who are in need there in Jerusalem. By 2 Corinthians, we find out that some people have been giving towards this in other regions, but the people in Corinth have not been doing it. And so Paul says, hey, remember, y'all said that y'all were going to do this. Y'all endeavored to want to do this. Well, you haven't been doing it. So I'm reminding you because, uh, because soon people are going to be coming through and they're going to be collecting that money. And it would be really embarrassing. This is just Paul saying it. It would be really embarrassing if they showed up to ask you for the money that you're going to give and you didn't have it. Have you ever been really embarrassed like that? Have you ever showed up to a birthday party and you're like, I didn't know it was a gift party? Or you did know it was a gift party, but you had no time, and you, you're like, you're scrambling around. I went to a four-year-old's birthday party. My wife sent me to a four-year-old's birthday party. Just, I'm going to blame it on her. It's not really her to blame, but I, this, is why, this is why she has to pretend that I'm enough, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> this is, I'm just showing you all. Laying the, 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 the cards up there. But uh, uh, we showed up to this four-year-old's birthday party. And we didn't have a gift, and I felt terrible. Like I, I did stop, just so you know, I stopped at two stores, took my son in, I said, do you see something that you want to buy for your friend? He's like, I have this perfect gift in mind. I don't want to take it. I could get that gift to them later, but you know how embarrassing it is to walk into a four-year-old's birthday party? A four-year-old. I'm not talking about a 14-year-old, where they're like, give me a $20 bill and get out of my face. A four-year-old, where they're like, I want a toy. I want something shiny. I want." And you walk in, and you're like, <laughs> that's when you... Tip, you go, you sneak in, you get a gift off the table, and you, no, just joking. <laughs> so he says, we don't want y'all to be embarrassed. And so he's encouraging them to give, and here's what he says. He says, beginning in verse number six, and I'm reading from the NLT today because it was just clean and straightforward, and I wanted us to be able to have a clean, straightforward text as we read this. He said, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Let's pause there for a second. Why would somebody not plant more seed? There's not going to be enough rain. There's not going to be enough sun. There's not enough ground. Somebody would hold back what they're going to plant because they would have, in some, on some level, a sense, a false sense of scarcity. Or maybe a practical sense of scarcity. I don't know. Maybe you only have a 12 by 12 foot of land and you shouldn't plant that much seed. Right? But he is just using a metaphor here, right? An image just to get somebody who casts out a little is going to get a return on their investment. And I ask the question, why would somebody cast out a little? They must think that there's not enough of something. But he says, the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. See, if you continue to believe there's not enough and you live out of there not enough there's not enough time not enough energy not enough uh, money not enough of my empathy not enough of me to go around then what you will do is 
you will reap scarcity. And we can look at this on multiple levels. We can look at this on a spiritual level and be like, you know, it's a law of faith. I do believe faith, but I also think like faith is very practical. And so I like to look at things practically and I think about this. If I'm opening my home to people coming in and I'm being hospitable to people, generally speaking, people will be open and welcome to me. Whenever I go and I'm in a grocery store and I say hi to somebody and I look at them and I have a smile, generally, unless they're having some kind of day or they're just some kind of different person, I get a, a brightened eye and a smile back. But if I withhold that, I put my head down, guess what? They're not going to look at me. I'm not going to look at them. So I think about things practically like that. So whenever he says this, I do believe there's an element of faith and God's working through it, but God works through things very practically. And hey, guess what? You're generous and and your generosity is going to come back on you. Here's what he says. He says, though, you need to decide in your own heart what to give. I love this. We should pay attention to this. We We should mark this down. Paul never tells them how much is enough. And I want y'all to know this. I'm never going to tell you. We believe in the biblical principle of 10% tithe from the Old Testament, but it's a principle. We're not dogmatic about it. It's a principle. In fact, it has to be a principle because it was given in the Old Testament law to the Jews, and I'm not a Jew. And so that law doesn't rest on me. So it's a principle, but it's a good principle. But I would tell you this. If you've never given 10%, and I've said this for years, and my mom said your dad would roll over in his grave if he ever heard you say this. If you haven't never given 10% on a regular basis, start with 2% or 5% or 6%. You need to decide between you and God what you are going to give. That's not for me to say. You know there's churches that ask for your W-2? Yeah. And some people are like, well, they should. And I'm like, huh. <laughs> No way, right? So decide what you don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Have you ever heard a preacher say this? Or am I the first? If you give, I don't want you to give. If, here they go. They're talking about funds. Give it. I feel pressure. I don't want to be embarrassed. Don't give because you're going to feel embarrassed. Don't give because you feel like there's a sense of pressure from me. Here's what I'm going to say, just like Jesus said. If you're giving to satisfy that pressure or that just to get somebody off your back, that's your reward. That's the reward that you get is, oh, I satisfied that pressure. Why would we not do this? Because God loves us to give cheerfully with an abundant heart. And then he says this, look, if you, if you resist, actively engage in resistance against scarcity, God will generously provide all that you need. Let's pay attention to that word. That last word in that sentence is what? What is it? Need. How many of y'all have everything that you need materially? How many of you have everything you want? 
me neither. And my eyes, just the, the desire for more just keeps going on. Especially with Instagram. They have my number on the ads that they push my way. The algorithm gets me. I got got the I I got scammed. I got scammed. They sent me Howler Brothers as this cool uh, outfitter um, out of Austin, Texas, and uh, they sent me this this uh, this ad that said they're having a forty percent off sale, and I was like, that's amazing. I mean, actually, it was seventy percent off. It wasn't forty percent, and I believed it because my friends had actually gone to a warehouse sale physically where it was like seventy percent off, and I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like, I need to get. I, I sent it to Brittany. I was like. And I said it to her, it, I didn't ask, but it was like, please, can I, can I please? And so I said it to her and she was like, okay, yeah, that sounds cool. Get some shirts. And then I sent the, the, the link to a couple of my buddies who like Howler Brothers too. And one of them is smarter than me. And he said, I don't see it on their actual website. And I was like, but I clicked the thing and I opened up their, I didn't open up their website. I opened up some scam artist website. And those shirts got sent to Colorado. And my card got tabbed for it. Huh. So I have all that I need, but there's always more that I want. But God will generously provide all you need whenever you resist this deception, this lie that there's not enough. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Huh. You can have more and more and more just so you can fit on your fat stacks. Nope. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Paul's not just supposing this. He's not just waving his hands. He's like, God's been saying this kind of stuff forever. If you are generous, I will provide for you. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources, and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. You can sit there for a few minutes. God is the one who provides. He provides. He doesn't just own the cattle on the thousand hill. He provides the food for a cow, uh, the cattle on the thousand hills. If he provides for everything, then he will provide and increase your resources, and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Whenever you actively resist the lie of scarcity, not only do you find out that there is abundance, but then you become an abundant person yourself. When you help defend the reality of scarcity that somebody else is living in, then guess what? The idea is they received it, then now they're going to give it, and they become an abundant person themselves. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So get this. So two good things will result from this ministry of generosity. The needs of believers in Jerusalem will be met. When we're talking about missions, whenever you go, hey, I'm going to give specifically towards missions this year, you are helping missionaries who actually live in the realm of scarcity or you're helping the communities that they're ministering to who live in the actual realm of scarcity. You are providing the needs for people. So that's one good thing that happens. The other thing is this. 
they will joyfully express their thanks to God. See, as a result of your generosity, let's say it this way, as a result of your active engagement in the conflict against the big lie of scarcity. See, I can take something short and make it big. Y'all see that? As a result of your active resistance to scarcity, people will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. How would this prove that you're obedient to the good news of Christ? Paul says it earlier in this chapter. Um, but I can't find it right now because that's how life goes for me. Might actually be in chapter 16 here. I'm really frustrated. I can't find it. I'll find it, and I'll tell you, but it really weakens this point, doesn't it? Um, How are you being obedient to the good news of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus Christ made himself poor so that you could become rich. And that means that you trust, A, that that actually happened. So you're trusting the good news, and B, you believe That that's the way that things should happen. Not just that it happened for me, but that's the way this world should operate. That I should empty myself for the sake of others. That whenever I become poor, they become rich. And guess what? God blesses me. And just like Jesus, I get to be blessed with abundance as well. If I see that here, awesome. I might not see it here, but one day I will see it because the abundance that I'm storing up for is not cool new cars and great shirts from Haller Brothers. The abundance that I am saving up for is a treasure in heaven. It's it's reserved there and it's kept not by me and all that I do. It's kept by the power of God. So my brothers and my sisters, I hope you can see not just from my convincing persuasive speech this morning but from the biblical text itself that when you engage in generosity you mount an active resistance against the deceit of scarcity and my hope and my prayer is is that you will fight the scarcity that you experience yourselves you'll resist that and you will work so that you could actually defend others who are in real scarcity And with that, I say, amen. Amen. Will you bow your head, close your eyes with me. And here's what we're going to do over the next few moments. We're going to talk to God about what God's talking to us about. One thing in particular that I would ask you to be in prayer about and consideration about is what does he want you to give towards missions this year? We've passed out these faith promise gift cards. And just, again, this is not to be compulsory. This is not to be pressured. This is for you to go to the Lord and say, God, what can I give? And I would encourage you to think about it like this. How can I fight 
scarcity this year.